Hi, this is John Deke. We are celebrating 25 years of the Very Young Composers, a program of the New York Philharmonic. And the music we're hearing is by Very Young Composer Julia Arancho, who at age 12 composed and orchestrated her piece called Unity, The Wave, which was written in solidarity with the victims of the Fukushima disaster. This is scene four, Preparing the Way. In order to properly lay the groundwork for the very young composers, I first had to ground myself. I had to become the foundation for a structure of which, if you had asked me, I wouldn't have had the foggiest idea. Ideas, visions, events were swirling around me, and I had to jump on the most meaningful ones and travel with them as far as I could. I did become a fervent follower of Leonard Bernstein, as I mentioned, whose TV appearances were now titled Young People's Concerts. I devoured each one as they came along. I memorized the instruments and the faces of the men who played them in the orchestra. Well, they were still all men in those days. The titles of the programs were intriguing questions in themselves. For example, what is melody? What is orchestration? What is jazz? Who is Gustav Mahler? And so forth. From these incredible concert telecasts, I learned about sonata form, the counterpoint of Bach, American symphonic music, structures of jazz, and a particularly significant seed of a concept that was to help me in a way I had not foreseen. It was this. During a later program called Musical Atoms, Bernstein, or L.B. as he later preferred to be called, he was explaining intervals, chords, and how they appear in music, and casually mentioned that, as a child, he had made up his own names for chords and intervals. The governing chord, the vice-governing chord, the yearning interval, a minor seventh as it turned out, and so on. Aha! I had done the same thing back in Indiana, but never told anybody about it except dear old Mrs. Kepke. Little did I know that this tiny seed of a concept would become a staple of the VYC curriculum and one of its favorite games loved by kids all over the world. Thank you, LB. (laughs) But I get ahead of myself. And I don't mean to say that all of my musical inspiration came from the television, There was a marvelous music theory teacher at the Oak Park High School, Miss Wood, and though she was very strict and I was far from a quick student, she did give us the basics of harmony and counterpoint, and I continued to play in the high school orchestra and go to Chicago Symphony concerts. But back to the New York Philharmonic. Along with becoming familiar with L.B. and his orchestra, many of whom would later become my colleagues and even close friends, The concerts also featured young soloists, and one of the most significant for me was the bassist, Gary Carr. Why? Because in studying the bass, or contrabass as I prefer to call it, and practicing long and hard, I was aware that there were very few, even among professional symphony players, who made the instrument sound convincingly beautiful like the other stringed instruments. In short, There was a frontier on the instrument, 
Of course, I admired the jazz bassists and wanted to emulate them, but among the symphonic players? <laughs> In my naive geographical language, I imagine the violin as being like New York City, the viola as maybe Des Moines, Iowa, the tuba as Winnipeg, the contrabassoon as the Yukon, and the bass <sighs> as Inuvik, the unconquered Alaskan Arctic. Anyway, but along comes Gary Carr, who is, good heavens, my age? And when he was introduced by Bernstein, he proceeds to perform the famous cello solo, The Swan, from Sanson's Carnival of the Animals on the Bass. How did he do it? What a revelation. So the bass can sound truly beautiful and expressive. It can sing. So here was another seed. Little did I know that Gary would later become my friend and mentor as well. But anyway, <laughs> I got ahead of myself again. Speaking of the cello, another inspiration was Pablo Casals. Back then, his master classes were televised on public TV. And when hearing him play, it was transfixed. I remember in particular him playing the courant from the Bach Second Cello Suite, recorded in an old castle, probably in Puerto Rico, since he vowed never to return to Spain during the Franco regime. The passion that he communicated to me in the context of that ancient castle transported me to his world, another world, and I vowed some day to play those suites on my bass and perhaps play for him in person, which actually, parenthetically, came true. <laughs> I wrote about his master classes for the student newspaper in my high school, and so writing about music also became part of my path of becoming a musician. But now appeared a choice, I mean really, a fork in the road. And in the immortal words of Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, Take it. So I took it. I decided to become a professional musician without limiting myself to a single tine of that fork. But first I had to master one tine or path of it, and I chose performing on the bass while I was keeping the creative part of musicianship warm and ready. Mr. Little of our high school orchestra encouraged me to try out for the Chicago Youth Symphony, which was a well-known orchestra in the Chicago area. So when I went to play for Dudley Powers, the conductor and a cellist in the Chicago Symphony himself, he asked me to sight-read an eye-poppingly difficult passage from the Sibelius First Symphony. Woo! I loved Sibelius by this time. The music he wrote always brought to me the fragrance of the vast northern landscapes of Finland. But I never actually played one of his symphonies in an orchestra. I closed my eyes for a second and tried to remember how it sounded when I'd heard it with the Chicago Symphony. I jumped into the deep darkness of it, playing as if I were outdoors instead of in some cramped old studio in Chicago's Loop. When I finished, 
Mr. Powers patted me on the back and said, You will be our new principal bassist. See you next week. Goodbye.